A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 98 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a really, really fun episode in store today with a great guest. But with me, as always, my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? I'm going to put my Twitter name as like 80 grade co-host because I've actually people, some people have actually picked up on that and they've started like when they send me a DM or something, I say, Hey, Mr. 80 grade. So <laughs> I'm just going to make that my Twitter name. Cause it's pretty cool. I like Do it. it. Yeah. It's probably available. Yeah, I'm sure. No, no, no I'm going to leave my <laughs> handle the same. I just do like, you know, you can change like your name. Oh, so, like, oh you're, you're just, yeah. yeah, your name. Okay. I got yeah. you. I got you. Yeah. So, uh, that's a, uh, that's a great intro. I always appreciate it. it. Makes me feel good before we start the show. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I gotta get you off on a you know get start off on a high note, right? Get everybody yep. feeling good, feeling great to talk some baseball. Uh, I could be a, it could be a bad day, and I would still talk baseball because we love this game so much more than the commissioner does. So well, yeah, but say we're we're basically living in bad days because we don't have baseball. And we're still talking about it. So you know, they're as we're recording, they're supposedly meeting right now, but uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I, I, at this I'm point. Just, I don't I'm know. just waiting. Like I'm waiting until like you know the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, people are signing their names or whatever. You know, I'm I'm not buying into any any reports I hear anymore after no. that whole like oh they're close, let's do it tomorrow type of thing. Yeah, no, nope. no point in listening to the junk. We'll just wait for it to be done, and I think it's going to get wild. It's going to be crazy because. You know, last night, seeing all the trade rumors is weird, like the Brian Reynolds trade rumors to Miami. Like, okay, so I didn't acknowledge, like, I guess I missed it that they, that organizations could still talk trades. So how many trades do you think are done that are just like, when when the lockout ends, it's going to be just like, they're going to be calling these guys like, hey, you're heading to Miami, you're heading to San Francisco. Like, it's going to be pretty wild, but it's going to be full on pandemonium yeah it's, it's gonna be great hopefully that is sooner rather than later because we already missed the first two series of the year don't want to miss any more than that but now we bring on our fantastic guest this is a man that probably breaks down more pitchers than 
anyone on the entire planet Earth. My sources tell me that his first word as a baby was slider and that the sh- uh, it, for show and tell in elementary school, he gave a breakdown of CSW, a man that would rather say good things about fantasy football than swear on a podcast. The face of pitcher list, Mr. Nick Pollock joins us today. Nick, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? Oh, my God. That was amazing. What is happening? <laughs> this is a yeah, I guess I would rather say <laughs> nice things about fantasy football. I was drinking out my fantasy football is stupid mug earlier today <laughs> which is a great mug it's uh, you know i'd rather say good things about that yeah don't cursing right guys we don't yep. do this here i don't wonderful I, i've never cursed on a podcast so it's see exactly chris gets it yeah i guess chris you. gets it but uh but yeah i will say the um I, I can't wait for that day of pandemonium um because it also means i i stopped doing the daily going deeps which are fun you love them take a lot of time <laughs> Um, and there are a lot of things to do, so I'll, I'll be excited to be like, the project is complete, and we have baseball again. And, oh, there's so much to talk about. There's so many things. There's so many storylines that we just don't know what's going to happen, and I can't wait to watch it all unfold. I can't wait either. And I got to mention, too, you know, congrats to you and Alex and the entire Pitcherless team oh. on your FSWA award for Podcast of the Year. I, I could listen to you and Alex all day. Oh, talk, man. That, that's... Talk baseball, so... Congratulations and congrats on the new on you know 7.0 website too. Like it's your website was already. I, I don't know how you guys keep raising the bar on your website. Like every year, I'm like, all right, they they can't get better than this, and then you guys do. So yeah, it's phenomenal website. So congratulations well, on all of that. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Eric, uh, for those kind words. Not necessary whatsoever. Um, I will say this: this website is kind of like we're trying to plateau now. <laughs> we're not trying to do so much more for the next one. It's pretty much me always trying to take the steps to something like this um, since it was pitcher gifts. But uh, with the podcast stuff, I mean, I, I just got to say Adam Howe, man, um, him stepping into the podcast manager role there has been absurdly cool. And I think they only gave us that award because Sleeper in the Bust and Rates and Barrels won it the previous two years. So um, like someone else needs to get it. And it, could, <laughs> it was either circling the bases or us. It was like, ah, coin flip, you know. And we were fortunate enough to get it, but uh, but thanks a lot, guys. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I mean, you guys do amazing work with us too, and uh, well, you know, you. I'm sure one day you guys will be uh, you know, on there as well. You're you're, you're too humble. You guys yes. absolutely deserved it. Your team is just phenomenal mm. all the way around, top to bottom. So many <laughs> great writers. On the shoulders and... of giants. Okay. <laughs> so many great writers and podcasters and behind the scenes. You know, it's really been fun to watch Pitcherless grow into the uh, the behemoth it is now. From Oof. Yeah, I, I've known I've known you and Alex for the last you know handful of years now. I think yeah. I met both of you first time back in, I think it was uh, first pitch twenty nineteen. Um, I think that's right. Yeah, you were yeah. in Arizona then. Yeah, I remember the yeah. I remember meeting out talking with Alex for the first time and getting that picture of him and uh, Mason cuddling oh out God. there. <laughs> the, the infamous times. picture that I took. I will take photo credit for that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I have the picture of the picture. You have a picture uh, of the picture. Yes, of taking the photo. I have that. So I have like, I have the photo of you taking the photo, I think. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Hanging in, <laughs> hanging in the loop. That's what... <laughs> but we do have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Obviously, we would talk about pitchers with Nick Pollock in the yes. house here. And we're talking some some breakouts, some really young, intriguing arms that could break out this year. We have a lot of names to get to. But before we get to that, the usual housekeeping, you can find us all on Twitter Nick is obviously at Pitcher List. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the Pitcher List podcasts, please rate and review. Get, drop the five star on there. Those always help. 
check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed for extra content from both Chris and I. And of course, check out all the other great work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our 2022 draft kit. But enough of that. Let's get right into it today. We're going to go like kind of division by division. And we'll break it down a little bit here. We'll start with the National League and then do the American League after the break. Let's start in the NL East. And a guy that already kind of broke out or not kind of did break out uh, second half of last season. I want to see what your thoughts are on Ranger Suarez here, Nick. Over he had 27 relief appearances, 12 starts, 1.36 ERA. Uh, in 106 innings, 25.6% strikeout rate, 7.9% walk rate, and even 1.00 whip. Are you buying the breakout that you saw in 2020, uh, 2021 here in 2022? So I have a phrase on the site called a Vargas rule, which is where there's a pitcher we don't really think is anything exceptional goes on a run. That is exceptional. And in your fantasy leagues, you're thinking, okay, I would normally drop this guy, but I can't because he's been doing so well that I just keep starting him until he hits the wall and uh, I don't want to say that that's exactly what Ranger Suarez did but it's actually kind of funny because he has a repertoire very similar to what Jason Vargas had when he was on that run with the Royals of a changeup that has a 20% swing strike rate and then just fastballs that aren't getting destroyed and so I watched a lot of Ranger Suarez from last year you know there's been a lot of debate about this one uh, I remember seeing, I think, Ranger Suarez inside the top 180 in ADP in early draft champions and NFBC stuff. I was thought, this is kind of a little too much. Uh, so I really went into it. And yeah, that's really what happened. Ranger Suarez avoided getting, you know, allowing the long ball. He allowed one home run on 1,100 fastballs thrown last year, which is absolutely insane. You just don't do that. And even if you add in, okay, say, hey, there's some extra home runs that happen fine. It's still like a 3-3 ERA, Nick. Adding more home runs, it's more complicated than that. Uh, How many guys are on base and how does it affect the rest of the start? Your rhythm, your confidence goes out. It it, it changes a ton just adding home runs to those pitches. But it's even more than that. The slider is this weird, maybe I'm going to get a strike pitch, but it's only a 52% strike offering. So it's a really sinker, four-seamer changeup, and I don't really want to buy into that so much. The changeup had a sub-60% strike rate last year. Generally, a 60% is the like the bare minimum I'm looking for when it comes to a number two pitch, but really you want like a 65% plus to say that, yes, he's going to maintain a, a sub-8% walk rate. I don't really love the fact that the changeup doesn't get enough strikes, and then the slider certainly doesn't either. So it's four-seamer, sinker. I don't really think either one of those is super exceptional. I would say the sinker is all right. He does a good job of commanding that arm side and down really well. But that was, again, in that sample of last year. I think Ranger Suarez is fine. He's not necessarily bad. I would, you know, have him on a 12-teamer if it was, like, my last round pick or something like that. But I'm not going to go and get him in the 16th, 17th round. I think that's just hoping for too much out of Ranger Suarez this year. And I'm sure he's going to have, like, a month or two of great starts, you know? Like, he faced really bad teams last year and took advantage of them. He can do the same probably this year. But for the full season, I don't want to chase Rager Suarez. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'm not quite. Originally, I saw the ADP and I was like 100% out. I think it's dropped to slightly more reasonable levels. So still pretty high. But yeah, for a lot of the reasons you just said, I just can't see him maintaining. Yeah, he still had a two, you know, 
mid to you know, X ERA and all the ERA indicators and did a great job limiting hard contact. Well, but you mentioned, yeah, the, the one home run allowed on, on fastballs is that's just not the same. That's just not sustainable. So, and doesn't really miss bats at a high clip. Yeah. The change up had a near 40% whiff rate, but he's never going to be a big K rate guy. Probably see a lot of ERA regression uh, back to, you know, in the mid threes, probably something like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm still not buying him, but, not quite as egregious as, as it was in early dawn draft season, but yeah, I'm still pretty much out on uh, Suarez at this point. How about you, Chris? Yeah, everybody wants to go and cite, well, he was good as a starter. Yeah, he was great. He had a one five one ERA as a starter down the stretch over 65 innings, but as you said, like, you know, how much of it was a fluky hot stretch? And that happens all the time where we see, you know, pitchers just get hot and they just run with it. And I think, I really think that's what happened here. You know, I've, I like Suarez, but not enough to draft him where he's going. You know, if he was going like post 250, like then maybe I can consider that. But, you know, right now uh, I'm not on board with the price. And I just think there's so much potential regression here. And who's to say he doesn't go back to the bullpen? Like, yeah, I mean, his run as a starter was amazing, but I don't, is there a guarantee that he sticks as a starter? I'm not totally sure. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I'm off base on that, but. To add on the, the Phillies said. need help. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I will say that like Eflin, you know, I, I haven't really been considering Zach Eflin a ton and I'm actually starting to again because his return was supposed to be May. And I'm personally yeah. expecting May 1st for when we get baseball again. Actually, I'm kind of upset I didn't draft him in Libra last night um, saying this out loud. But I, I, with Eflin back, then right now Suarez would be the number four. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, sorry, it would be the four or five. But there's no one else. There's sure. really no one else. Like right now, it's Hans Kraus <laughs> as number five if this season started with Eflin Hurt. And that's just bad. So, uh, yeah, Suarez is likely going to stick in there. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on, like, the hot street stuff, man. Like, it happens all, like, every season. We also have Cal Quantrill as sub-2 ERA to end the year. Yep. But everyone yeah. has accepted him as the Derek Rodriguez, you know. <laughs> like, he had that's a good true. season of ERA, but we don't trust this whatsoever. Same with Chris Flexen. So, I uh, yeah, I'm not buying this. All right, moving over to the to Chris's Atlanta Braves here. Uh, Huascar Inoa uh, had a pretty solid season last year. A little bit up and down, but ended with a 4.05 ERA, 111 whip, 100 Ks in 91 innings for a near 27% strikeout rate. Walk rate was a tick under 7% overall. So, pretty good, you know, kind of first season here for the uh, 23-year-old Huascar Inoa. What are your thoughts here on him, Nick? Do you think he can take that next step and kind of establish himself as, you know, a kind of a nice mid-rotation guy behind Anderson and Morton down there? So um, there's been a lot of talk about being a two-pitch pitcher in the majors and what that means, right? And yeah. uh, I think we've accepted that you can be successful as a two-pitch pitcher. And my philosophy has always been you need three pitches. One, a fastball that does not get crushed. Two, a secondary pitch you can throw for strikes. And three, a secondary pitch you can throw for whiffs. Sometimes, or just actually just any pitch you can throw for Wiss, rather. Sometimes two of those are actually one pitch, and that is, you know, a slider. He throws it for strikes and gets it for whiffs, and it's it's amazing. It's filthy through about 50% of the time last year. It gets uh, the eighth most vertical drop of any slider in the majors among starting pitchers, which is excellent. Now, the fastball gets crushed a lot. We're talking like a 40% hard hit per PA. Um, and generally you want to see with like a four seamer, if it's underneath 30%, you're like, yes, okay, this is all right. We can deal with this. 40% is, oh no, 
That's a really, really good <laughs> bat. And it's crazy because he throws 96-97. And Enoa sometimes can command it. There's some beautiful gifts out there of him throwing like 98 on the outside corner with this. And it's just, ah, oh, ah, oh, it's just beautiful. And then all of a sudden he allows a home run to Eric Cosmer of all people. Like, <laughs> How did you allow this? So it, it's it's annoying. It, I think it's a VAA thing, vertical approach angle. If you're not familiar with that, essentially, um, if you're coming at a high angle with a fastball, it makes it easier to go into the bat path of the hitter. Um, so when you're swinging, you always have a slight uppercut. And if you have a high enough angle, that means that the ball is going in along that travel of the bat. And... Noah does that a little bit, which makes the four-seamer easier to hit. So that's a problem. And there is a changeup at 10% rate of a 10% rate that could theoretically develop. But I don't really expect there to be so much more change from Noah. I will say this. Before his injury of, of slapping his hand onto a bench and slapping is very generous, what he actually did. Um, <laughs> it was a 309 ERA with a 105 whip, right, in those eight starts. And then afterwards, it was, oh, no, 505 ERA with a 114 whip. My whole thing, though, is that it actually wasn't so bad. 505 ERA, yes, but still a 26% striker rate. Still a 114 whip. 30% overall CSW, just a 7% walk rate. And he actually limited his hard contact overall to just 26% per plate appearance, which is fine. It's not exceptional, but it's fine. Only had a 65% left on base rate after, which is very low, and we expect that to get better, closer to 75%. All I'm trying to say is they allowed too many home runs. Still had a really good whip. Still a lot of strikeouts. I'm a fan of Oscar Eno because I don't think he's that post-injury self of a 505 ERA. I think he's like a 3.8 or so with a good whip, like one that will actually help you and a lot of strikeouts along the way. Atlanta needs him as a starter right now. He's going to be starting throughout. The slider is just that good that it's going to keep those strikeouts flowing and keep that whip down. And hopefully he goes on a good enough stretch where the fastball doesn't get demolished uh, constantly. So I'm, I'm a fan of this, especially if you find yourself not necessarily finding that many strikeouts earlier on in your draft. Yeah, I'm kind of a fan. I'm, I'm warming up to, you know, uh, you know, he did give up those 14 home runs, like you mentioned, and the four seamer had a 254 batting average against 529 slug 361 Woba. But like you said, the slider is phenomenal, uh, near 40% whiff rate, 208 batting average against 335 slugging against. Changeup was very good as well, 42.9% whiff rate on that. So I like that he can miss bats with both of those offerings. But yeah, to your point, like that fastball command, like yeah, he could dot it sometimes, but you look at the heat map on the fastball and it's kind of all over the place um, in the zone. So a little yeah. bit of improvement there. I think he could definitely take that next step. And I don't think there's really necessarily a big gap between him and like an Ian Anderson long term. I think they could be pretty close. I, I like Anderson more. I will say that, but I don't think it's just like to be a huge gap between the two. So. Um, I'm, mm. I'm kind of buying into, you know, if that fastball can improve. I, I mean, this in the, this, well, this is weird because they're like, they're, they're completely different, right? Like right. Ian Anderson does not have an overwhelming pitch like, uh, like Noah does, but none of his pitches get crushed like in Noah's fastball, right? Right. It's a completely different, uh, approach. And I kind of buy into what Anderson does. I think he's just super hard to hit. And I think over time, he's just going to get better at throwing more pitches in the zone and realizing, oh, this is fine. <laughs> this is okay. And I think Ian Anderson actually has a really nice 2022 ahead. Um, I- I'm curious to see how both of them pan out. Me too. Yeah, I, I like both arms. Yes, I-, I like Anderson more, but I think Inoa could be a nice arm as well. Chris, being the uh, resident Braves fan <laughs> in the house here, what are your thoughts on Inoa? How uh, how confident are you that he can take that next step this year? Well, looking at the the heat map was what I was going to mention, the location's bad, but then you, you break it down 
looking at the home runs and just on the four seam, they were, I mean, majority of them were left like right over the heart of the plate and the velo wasn't good on, on those interestingly enough. So the one to Hosmer was actually 97.1, but he let, he grooved it right over the middle. So Hosmer destroyed it. The other one's 93, eight, uh, 96, eight to Abby Sale Garcia, 94, 95. So I guess not all bad, but there's a couple that are like nine. This the one to Brandon Nemo, 93.9, just left in bad places that were easy to hit. Now he did, uh, Brand or Adam Duvall hit one off of him. I guess we were still with the Marlins that was, you know, low in a way that somehow he got a hold of, and it was up to almost 98. But overall, I think it's just a slight command problem with the fastball. And you mentioned the slider is really good. And I think that's what's the best thing to do for him. Throw your best pitch the most often. And that's what most pitchers should do. And we saw that with like to Nelson Lamette before 2020, where he began to throw that slider more often than any other pitch. because it was his best pitch. So maybe this is a thing where I don't know how much more you can throw the slider yeah. when you're throwing it 48% of the time, but you know, he, at least he's throwing it the majority of the time and we're not seeing the four seam above it. So right. it'll be interesting. I don't know, but I think if he can just command the fastball a little better, it, it's interesting to see like the home, most of the home runs were not on like, you know, average like fastball. Below. It was either like low end or high end. So I don't know if it's just struggling with command there when he's trying to groove it or what, but yeah, he'll be interesting to watch. And I, I'm kind of neutral on him. Don't love him. Don't hate him. But yeah, he'd be worth monitoring this year. I don't know. He could probably. Who is that? Who's that reliever that throws a slider like seventy percent of the time? Is it Diego Castillo? Or so? Yeah, I think it was Diego Castillo. So yeah. You're who knows? About relievers, man. I, yeah, I, I know. know. It's, a, it's a reliever. I'm but. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you can always increase that slider usage <laughs> if he likes it enough. But uh, this this next name on the list is actually one of the names I was most interested in getting Nick's take on. You know, we've talked about this arm a lot on this podcast over the last couple of years. I've I've written him up over on Fantrax HQ, and that's Jesus Lazardo, who had just overall an atrocious 2021 season. Uh, 30, It was only 38 innings, but 6.87 ERA, 163 whip. His whip was basically what Ranger Suarez's ERA was this past year, or even a little bit higher. Um, but, you know, he still has the premium velocity uh, from the left side has two pitches he can miss bats with, with this, the uh, curveball and the changeup. Curveball was actually one of the best curveballs in baseball last year, but both the sinker and the four-seamer are just get hit way too hard, way too often. So that's an issue. But, hey, new team, fresh start. Miami's been pretty good lately in pitching development, so could be a good spot for him. But, Nick, what are your thoughts on Lizardo this year? Are you, uh, are you still a believer that he can turn into a solid arm? Uh, so... Okay, I, this doesn't. This is not supposed to be a plug, but one thing about the news site I've been dying to see for ages, and I wish I kind of saw before last year, um, were strike percentages on pitches and uh, and just understanding the flow of their repertoire and how they work, because things changed and we can kind of see beforehand. He was throwing this four seamer, you know, seventeen percent of the time, but only getting a sixty percent strike rate in twenty twenty, and then that fell to fifty nine percent as he threw it about a third of the time. That's really bad. When you're throwing a four-seamer, you want to have 65 to 70%. Like the elite ones of Kevin Gaussman, that's at 74% strike rate. That means you're throwing your pitch and you're getting strikes, and that's a good thing. Sure, you can say, well, he gets hit hard or whatever, so maybe he doesn't want to do that. Well, that was a problem, too, with Luzardo. <laughs> As he was a 59% strike rate, and then he allowed a 364 average on the pitch. So it's a bad fastball right now. I don't know why exactly it is that way. Maybe it's just bad command. Maybe... It's just very easy to hit for whatever reason. 
Uh, and the sinker dropped 10 points in strike rate this past year from 67 to 57. I mean, that's just not good. Uh, good news. And the thing that makes me interested a little bit in Jesus Lazardo is that once he went to Miami, he started to have these starts where he pushed up his curveball and change up a ton. And the curveball, 50% strike rate in 2020 to 65 in 2021. As you mentioned, Eric, an elite curveball, 35% CSW, 22% swing strike rate is insanely good. Limited batters to a sub 200 uh, uh, average. Change up, he threw 20% of the time, 18% hard hit per PA, which is really good. Uh, you're happy to see that, 63% strike rate. And those two pitches, to me, if he combines for about 60% of his offerings, if not more, with curveballs and changeups, we could be seeing some fun stuff. And guess what? At the end of the year, and I know it's not something that you should put any weight in, but the last start of the season for Jesus Lozardo was 11 strikeouts against the Phillies. Uh, with one earned run in 5.1 innings. And what did he do? Only 24% four-seamers and 44% curveballs. 38 thrown in that game, and he had a ton of success with it. I think there's something to be said about that uh, for Jesus Lazardo. And I will say, too, also, the four-seamer actually returned 48% CSW in that one by throwing it less, and he earned whiffs on it because it was more of a surprise pitch. There could be something to that. I'm not saying that he's all of a sudden now going to be an absolute ace or anything close to it. But when it comes to pitchers that I'm looking at early in the season, it, Jesus Lazardo is a part of that list because I want to see if that approach change is legitimate and if you'll actually be pulling back that four-seamer. Just as you mentioned, Chris, throw that worst pitch less. Both, though, I want fewer sinkers. Get that. Just don't even throw the sinker. It's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't do anything good for you. The four-seamer is where there is potential and if he just becomes a curveball changeup guy with the surprise four-seamer, Luzardo could do something cool. I like that. Yep. I'm I'm still like I just got Luzardo literally two minutes ago in TGFBI. And I think I have pick? like a uh two uh it was near three hundred. Uh, I didn't want to hear it too in the first number, by the way. So I'm glad you're saying three hundred something. Yeah, it, it was yeah, it was I think it was in the low three hundred, but that's like okay, I have like a seventy good. plus percent share percentage of, of him. I gave him an almost oh, wow. every league this year. Yeah, it's like where he's going, you know, in the you know, three thirty ish ADP range. Sure. I'm all over that. He's got more upside than a lot of the arms well, in that range. I will say, be ready to drop him, right? It's 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 part of this list of me of like the early drops of I want I'm okay drafting him, but I'm I want to see if that approach is sticking in the first or yeah. second week. If it's not, it's going to be hard to to keep him on your bench while you have all these other exciting guys doing new things. Go after the new things if Luzardo has not shifted into what we saw in September. For sure. Yep. I can totally see that. Now, Chris, I know we've already talked about Lazardo a bunch, but what, what are your th quick thoughts here on Lazardo? Yeah, I've loved him since his prospect days. I mean, he was an elite prospect and we saw what he was capable of. Obviously, pitching against major league hitters is a totally different caliber, but you're right. I think that there's something to that. You were exactly on with the, the pitch mix change down the stretch. The last start was, was masterful. And so hopefully we do see, see that stick. I'd love to see the four seam usage you know, dip below the curve and maybe even the changeup. And I think with the way Miami can has developed changeups with other pitchers, that'll be something to watch. Like, what does this changeup look like coming into this season? Could be huge for him. But the curveball is elite, and he needs to stick with that pitch, throw it the most often, and just use the fastball when he needs to and work on pinpointing that pitch because it's not hasn't been great, but hopefully pulling that back can really help him out in the long run. So, yeah, the draft cost – 
I don't see why you wouldn't take him. There's there's no one in that range that I think has as much upside as he does. Totally agree. All right, last name in the National League East here, a guy that I wrote up as a sleeper for 2022 that you can get super late in your drafts. That's Josiah Gray from the Washington Nationals, a guy that will definitely have a rotation spot this year as he's currently projected as number three arm behind the always shaky Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. So yeah, he's yeah he's going to have a spot in that rotation. And you know last year was you know pretty impressive in his debut. You might not have seen that in the um, in the ERA or anything like that, but he had a, a whiff rate above forty five percent on two pitches. Very small sample size, obviously, but you know this is a guy that had a very solid minor league career. Was one of the top pitching prospects in baseball coming up through the Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. So. Uh, I think there's a lot of pieces here that have a nice breakout season this year. Uh, Nick, are you buying into Josiah Gray? I have so many thoughts on Josiah Gray, and I'm very sorry for the amount of time I'm about to take up. I, <laughs> All good, man. I, I will say, it might surprise you, that I prefer Steven Strasburg at the end of my drafts than Josiah Gray. I would and agree with that. It's a very simple reason. I am structured for 12-teamers, just so we're clear here, but... You have to understand the in-season strategy of the end of your draft and what it means, like just talking about with Lazardo, of what it means drafting a player. It essentially is, I want to try, I want to trust him and see what he's doing early on. I don't think we'll have a decision made or a verdict on Josiah Gray's you know, foreseeable future in April. I, I, I kind of want to buy into Josiah Gray starting June 1st or July 1st and then for the second half. And I think with Strasburg, we'll know right away if that velocity is back, if he's in any way close to the guy he was before. And if he's not, he's not. And then you just move on to the next guy because both of them are going to go very late in your drafts. So with Josiah Gray, I mean, I was a huge fan last year. I, I essentially, I jumped on him everywhere because he went to Washington where, great, he's going to just pitch forever now. Um, I do have some questions. You know, brought up a really good point when we talked yesterday. The Washington Nationals don't have a great uh, history of development in the majors. And that could be a question mark for Josiah Gray as the curveball and slider are both legit pitches. I yep. mean, they had massive swing strike rate pitches. I think the curveball is a little bit more dependable overall. A 21% swing striker for that one, 24 for the slider. Uh, slider actually had a higher strike rate, 66%. Maybe I'm confusing the two of the slide and the curveball right now. <laughs> But, uh, but essentially, one of the breakers is better than the other at being more of a consistent pitch. But nevertheless, both are there and could get double-digit whiffs in a given night. That's awesome. The big concern is the four-seamer because it can get double-digit whiffs. And I wouldn't be surprised if he succeeds so much in the minors because he could just kind of throw it and without amazing command and batters still couldn't hit it. But now in the majors, batters are hitting it a little bit easier and he's just – he got – trounced he got trounced by the phillies the mets the pirates rocky road okay it was a terrible terrible september he had poor command and then he rebounded against the marlins and i watched that start because i really wanted to see is this someone who really you know came around and figured things out he didn't if you go and watch that outing you'll see a guy who was not making stellar pitches constantly who's trying to find strikes, laboring through at-bats and getting lucky on this one, lucky on that one. 
And I think that's going to be the story of Josiah Gray a good amount. There are going to be these moments where he really just shines. Ten strikeouts against your Atlanta Braves, Chris. Um, but it's going to be back and forth. And unless I see his fastball really excelling in April and think, oh, man, this guy has it down. He's attacking the right way, getting the early strikes with his breakers to even set up a, a two-strike fastball up if he wanted. Really feeling like he's not battling himself but battling the batter. Once that change happens, Josiah Gray is going to soar. But I don't believe it will happen in April. And I don't believe it's going to even happen in May. It could not even happen this season. And that makes it really tough as a fantasy manager because I, I don't I won't know what to do with Josiah Gray. So I'm kind of out for that reason. And it stinks. I'm so in for 2023. Because I know this is a this is a prospect thing, right? I'm in <laughs> for 2023, guys. And I wouldn't you know, give him up in a dynasty. But if I'm in a win right now, I find it kind of tough to buy in on Josiah Gray. Yeah, that's totally fair. Chris, what are your thoughts? I really don't know what to make of him <laughs> yet. I don't he's right. The the Nationals development has not been good, and that's my concern. And young pitchers always have an adjustment period. We see that time and time again. It takes them a little while. And so I don't have a single share of him for this season for redraft. But I think long term he'll be okay. But for redraft, I'm kind of out. I just don't I don't want to get into it because I just I don't know. Like I feel like he's a pitcher that we could be dropping, you know, a month or two into the season just because there is still some downside, I think. While there is immense upside with his profile, I'm not sure he hits that this year. So for redraft leagues, I think he's – I'm just avoiding him. I'd prefer to go that way rather than – I'd rather bank on somebody like Lazardo than Gray, personally. Yep, totally agree. I would definitely mm. rather have Lazardo as well. Oh, man, Ooh. I'd rather uh, – yeah, I, I get it because exactly what I just said, you'll know earlier or not. Yeah. If I had, Okay, if I had like a, a draft and hold, it's Josiah Gray. But yeah, I think you're, you're kind of right. You get if you you, know, you want to see what happens early with Jesus Lazardo. I get it. Yeah, 12, I think twelve teamers. I think it's definitely Lazardo for sure. Um, all right, moving out of the NL East here, over to a, a couple more names here in the National League. Uh, the one name we had in the NL Central that is a very buzzworthy name this draft season. That's Aaron Ashby of the Milwaukee Brewers. Last year, pitched mostly out of the bullpen, had a 4.55 ERA, but a lot of that was, you know, his blow up the last game of the season, which completely screwed me in my home keeper league head-to-head championship round. But uh, that's a story for another day. I'm not bitter or anything at all, but the stuff was definitely there. Uh, overall, had a 29.3% strikeout rate. All the ERA indicators were a run to a run and a half below his actual ERA uh, slider. Very, very impressive pitch exceptional pitch uh, batting average against under a hundred whiff rate above 40% there overall uh, the whiff rate was 29.6% well above league average same thing with the chase rate so a lot of intriguing stuff there uh, in the profile of Ashby with the sinker slider change up mix uh, ADP has been kind of up and down but right now it's right in the mid 200 range around 250 or so are you buying into Aaron Ashby as a breakout arm this year Nick yeah, two ninety array and a one whip. If you take out the last start, yeah, last I'm, I'm not bitter or anything. Yeah, it just it yeah. just cost well, me a championship. It's okay. It's okay. Well, you know what? <laughs> you did that to yourself. Okay, uh, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I uh, did. I totally did. But no, but seriously, with Aaron Ashby, it's a lot of what I'm just talking about with Josiah Gray. I think actually the shortened season hurts Ashby a lot because I'm a, I'm as big of a fan of Aaron Ashby as anybody when it comes to Aaron Ashby the starter. 
Uh, there's a story of me having a pictureless meetup in Boston this year. And then while we all got dinner after, I literally have his game from that day on my phone at the table as I was <laughs> talking. Because I'm was, i just so enamored by him. I mean, one of the best sliders in the majors. 96-97 on the fastball with a good sink on it. That's going to get tons of grounders. And a changeup he can throw for strikes as well. Like, he was confidently throwing sliders and changeups in the zone from the get-go. And it's really cool to see that. It's free real estate, guys. Um, the the big problem is that Milwaukee has five starters. I mean, it's it's that simple. And I do expect at some point Aaron Ashby to be the first one to get the opportunity. How long do you want to wait for that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can understand Aaron Ashby shouldn't hurt you unless you're going against the Dodgers in the last game of the season for Aaron Cross's team. Uh, so you should be fine putting him as your middle reliever, but that's a valuable draft spot. There's no more valuable, sorry, a bench spot than April. It's, it's without a doubt the most important one. So I don't know how long I'm going to wait for that. And then keep in mind, it's not just when he enters the rotation. It's going to take about three weeks or so for him to ramp up then to go from two innings to three innings to four innings. You know, eventually we'll get to that five, maybe, and then it could be 4.1 in the next one. It's going to take time. He's going to be camp counseled, as I like to say. So I am out again for 2022 because that means I have to draft Aaron Ashby. Now, you might get lucky where the person who drafts Aaron Ashby is sick of it and, <laughs> and, drafts, and drops him. And that could very much happen. If that's the case, just be hyper aware of whatever's going on in Milwaukee. And the second that someone goes down, Ashby is the call. Don't do it for a spot start. It probably will be a two-inning opener role. It won't actually be as a member of the rotation. But if someone actually gets hurt for a significant amount of time, Ashby's the guy, and then I'm stoked. But yeah, I'm not drafting him because of that. It's just too valuable of a bench spot to give up right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. If he had a rotation spot, I would be much more confident in drafting him because, yeah, I'm definitely enamored with the, with the stuff, as you mentioned. Uh, so, I, yeah, just not – I can't do it without the rotation. Same thing with, you know, a guy we'll talk about a little bit later, Tanner Houck, and I love Tanner Houck, but what's the role start of the year? We don't know. So kind of makes it hard to draft him where he's going, even though the talent is definitely there. And, and Milwaukee's recent track record of developing arms is very, very encouraging, which also – uh, helps a lot but uh yeah i'm kind of with you there i'm out right now it's because of the role uncertainty chris where about you yeah i agree you can't draft players that don't have roles expect i mean in the late game sure like the last round target maybe but he's going a little early for that so i just can't invest that kind of pick into where he's going and not be guaranteed starts for what it's worth you mentioned the last start his mlb debut also hit just oh, two-thirds yeah. of an inning he allowed yeah. seven runs only four earned but three walks if you take out the MLB debut and that last start against the Dodgers, 30.1 innings, 178 ERA, 33% K, 5.2% walk, 35% CSW. So pretty elite. I know <laughs> he's got elite stuff. We know that. We've we've discussed that, but the role is a big factor. Dynasty leagues, buy-in. 2022, not so sure. Uh, I'm not sure he's worth the, the draft cost. For a quick D&D crossover, it's a critical role for Aaron Ashby. And you guys don't get it, and it's fine. I, I don't. I, I don't play nope. D so I don't get it. <laughs> it's really. It's a good joke. <laughs> but, but, Love but, it. but those stats that Chris just mentioned, without the beginning and end, just got the chef's kiss from Mister Nick Paul, including mm, that thirty-five percent oh. CSW. Oh. So yeah, he's, beautiful. He's just, he's just so good. 
<laughs> yeah, he is. I think we're all in agreement. Very good arm, but the roll kind of makes us shy yes. away for this year. At least the last arm I wanted to get Nick's take on here in the National League is a guy that I've always been kind of enamored by um, out west with the Dodgers, Mr. Tony Gonsolin. Um, walk rate really ballooned last year to levels that he never showed in the minor leagues, but has that really good splitter slider combination both of which have had a uh, whiff rate above 40% each of the last two years. Batting average against was under 120 for both, but the four-seamer gets hit hard. Allowed six home runs last year in Henry 432 thrown, 298 batting average against, 564 slug. Has, hasn't really had a chance to really establish himself as a starter because obviously the Dodgers are always loaded in the rotation, but this year, you know, it could be the year. Currently, He's projected as their number three behind Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. They also have Andrew Heaney, David Price, but you know, who knows what you get out of David Price. Heaney's still a question mark as well. There's still others that we shall not name that are in the mix as well. Who knows? But looks like he could be in the rotation to start the year. And uh, so, Nick, are you buying Tony Gonsolin to break out this year? So this is the um, this is probably the guy I'm most conflicted on because uh, I don't know where I stand on a very important question. I'm sure you don't know what that question is. Uh, <laughs> will his slider get 65% plus strikes or not? Um, in 2020, it was a 71% rate. And in 2021, it was 52%. And the impact of that means that you all of a sudden need to throw more four seamers. That you know, That's essentially the thing that guys will then sit on and hit. And that's why I think you had that 136 whip. Obviously, the walk rate goes up 14% to 14%. You're throwing fewer strikes. I mean, that's just the case. Strike rate went down on four seamers as well, five ticks. Uh, splitter went down three ticks, down to 58. But tr to, traditionally, you don't see a high strike rate on splitters. You just see those as O-swing machines, which it wasn't. Um, kind of weird, 90% swing strike rate, but just a 26% O-swing. So it, it's all very strange uh, to me. And the biggest issue among all of this is that, yeah, he's not throwing enough strikes, but the batting average then went up to 298 on the four-seamer. And what's crazy, the hard hit per PA, that is the hard contact allowed on sliders and splitters, super low. I mean, among all starting pitchers, Gonsolin ranked 11th in hard contact allowed, which is exceptionally good. Like, insanely good. But it's probably because he didn't throw enough strikes and he just walked too many guys. Hard hit per PA is all about per plate appearance. So if you take away, I don't know, eight ticks of the walk rate, you know, <laughs> down to like 6% or so. Maybe that goes five ticks to PA to like getting hard contact. And all of a sudden it's 25%. He's not nearly as exceptional. So just a, just a quick note about that with uh, hard hit per PA on our site. It's a great stat, but just keep in mind how much of K's and walks are involved in those play appearances. Gonsolin has to throw more strikes to the slider. It's that simple. If you can do that, whip improves dramatically. Um, he allows fewer hits on the fastball then. His strikeout rate can stay... 25% plus but I don't know if I buy that and that that's the tough call um, I will say the Dodgers should be relying on Gonson above um, Price or any other options that you would consider close to Gonsolin so yeah he should have a rotation spot um, maybe it's a more in the limited role uh, like four to five innings as opposed to trusting him for six or so yeah. but I kind of want to take a chance maybe that slider is doing great out of the gate I can feel really good about it I kind of don't think he's going to get the same slider from 2020, though. And that makes me feel not so great about Gonsolin. 
Yeah, he's definitely going to be intriguing for sure. And I totally agree. Like, they know what they have with David Price at this point. Like, Price is better, probably like long relief, kind of mopping up if one of the starters goes, you know, doesn't go, you know, deep into their start. So I want to see what they, you know, I think it's time for them to figure out what they have with Gonsolin. Either he's going to be a, a pretty good starter long term, or maybe he's, you know, maybe he's more of a bullpen guy. Who knows? But um, definitely very intriguing. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a huge make or break here for him. I kind of echo everything you said already, but at the current price tag going after pick 300, I do think he's worth a gamble, kind of like Jesus Lazardo, where the value isn't low enough where I think you can invest and see where it goes. But I don't know. He's a tough one. I've liked him in the past before, but just how the Dodgers manage pitchers, who knows? They can manage him a lot of different ways. For all we know, they could go out and trade for somebody. They could sign a huge name immediately. Like that rotation could get filled and he get bumped out quickly. And so that's my concern because the Dodgers do what they do best, and that's go out and buy players. I mean, we've seen them yep. do it time <laughs> and time again. And that's my fear is that he gets bumped out of the rotation. Maybe he could benefit from a trade to somewhere else. Like I, I don't know if that's even in the realm of possibility, but you know, it would be something to consider. Now, last year. You mentioned, can he go deep enough? He was really good the first and second time through the order, but he never, I mean, he only pitched one inning the third time through the order, which is a huge concern, and he allowed two earned runs. So the only time he went, saw a lineup the third time through, it was an inning and two earned runs, and that's not ideal. But the first two times through the order were really, really good. So that is worth noting. Maybe he is just a five-inning type guy, which could hurt his value a little bit. Yeah, uh, if I'll take I'll take him in Boston to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, if he gets bumped out of the rotation before Andrew Heaney gets bumped out, I'll be incredibly upset. I just gotta say that. Yeah, so Andrew Heaney is not gonna work out, guys. Just so mm. clear. Thank you, <laughs> not, thank you. I don't I don't understand. It's, yeah, it's not gonna work. Out. Everybody's oh, Robbie Ray apparently, but no, oh. no, no, no. That's the wrong. It's the wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, that, that's what that's everybody's <laughs> the real the take. real the real Robbie Ray answer is Patrick Corbin. Um, which I don't believe in. I, like you have to understand, the Robbie Ray thing is an exception, and yeah. every year there's always a new thing. Remember when it was Shane Bieber and Tyler Glasnow? Yeah, who's, right. who's the new of them? I mean, it's every year. There's <laughs> that, that's a popular thing, and everyone's like, "Oh, who's the next Cedric Mullins?" And yeah, those are fun things to write about. But people have to realize, like, uh-huh. it doesn't happen often. Someone going from like pick 500 plus to a 30 30 guy, or going from Robbie Ray who couldn't throw a strike to someone that had like a 6% walk right. Walk he just rate. Said, like, all right. He just said, screw it. I'm going to throw in the zone now. And yeah. It was great. <laughs> like that doesn't that's, happen all the time. It. These are, these are yeah. very, these are exceptions yeah, Andrew to the Heaney rule. Throws too much in the zone. So it's, there's, there's a difference. Andrew Heaney is just not good and got ruined by the atrocious angels development org. That's, mm. that's my take. They, yeah, they have not had a good track record. Inconsistent curveball and changeup. If you ever actually had those consistently, because I think actually his fastball gets, it's laced because people know it's coming a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's actually not that bad of a heater. If he gets good secondaries that are consistent, but they're not. So <laughs> that's it. All right. Enough about Heaney. We're going to take a quick break here. Come back on the other side and get into some very intriguing pitches over in the American League. So don't go anywhere. Hey. 
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back. Let's get into the American League now. We'll start in the AL East with my Boston Red Sox and two of the really the more intriguing names in Boston Red Sox world here for fantasy purposes this year have been Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock. You know, Houck, the longtime top pitching prospect for Boston, who is just absolutely nasty. He's been comped as the right-handed Chris Sale, which is a little extreme, but I I, I get it. Um, and then Garrett Whitlock, who the Red Sox got from the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft a couple of years ago. Thank you, New York. I will thank you guys forever for giving us Garrett Whitlock. And he was really like outside of Eovaldi and Pavetta and Sale. Like You could say Whitlock was their third or fourth best and most consistent arm last year, but the role of each of these guys is very uncertain to start the year after the Red Sox brought in. Rich Hill and Michael Walker. So right now, neither one are predicted to be a starter. So who knows? But the breakout potential is definitely there for both. Nick, are you buying into either of these two this year? I know it's hard to say without the the role being known at this current point in time. But then again, is Rich Hill going to stay healthy? Is Michael Walker going to stay healthy? So I can see help getting a start, you know, getting into the rotation sooner rather than later. But are you buying into either of these two guys in 2022? So not Garrett Whitlock. Um, I haven't really thought much about Garrett Whitlock because I thought it was just not a chance that he breaks camp inside that rotation. And not, not even just in the rotation, but definitively in that rotation. Um, because there's a big difference. And I think this is something I overlook a ton. Is if you are the number five guy for a like a proper ball club. And I mean by that is one that isn't just like, yeah, whatever. Who's throwing on Friday? Don't care. Like the ones that actually go, okay, cool. We're going to look at our schedule. We're going to see if we're going to get you know, an extra start for this guy or whatever, especially around the season. A lot of teams just skip that fifth rotation spot uh, for the first two weeks or so. You might have a bullpen game. You might even have just a four man because they have off days or so. It's really frustrating to being to be such in the dark right now about the schedule. But so if you have a guy like Hauk and or and or Whitlock, those are the young guys that they always want to hold back a little. So it does mean that you probably won't get a start early uh, from Hauk if he does earn that fifth spot, which he should. Let's be honest here. Yes. Rich Hill. Agreed. Rich Hill's the number four. Fine. That probably won't last a while. He's also uh, like 56 years old, too. Yes. You know, going on. <laughs> actually, I think it's 58. But anyway, okay, um, my bad. <laughs> Michael Walker is not is not going to confidently start for this team. I, I, I would be shocked. Maybe he's throwing 95 consistently with that changeup. That's uh, that's only times when he was successful last year, but we still only would do it for like five innings or so. Um, Garrett Whitlock, I watched before the show just a bit more to get more familiar. And I do like what he does. I love the fact that he throws elevated four seamers um, as a strikeout pitch, at like a 20% swing strike rate on those, but it was only 10% usage. Um, but I thought that was really, really cool. Good looking slider as well. Changeup is bad though. Oh man. Why are you throwing that pitch? Uh, <laughs> but Tanner Houck, I think, is more complete, right? It's a, it's a slider that misses a lot of bats, 36% CSW, but 60% strike rate. And I was really surprised about that. Um, not as consistent as I'd want it to be. Uh, Four-seamer sinker, otherwise a splitter. Is that really going to be a thing for Houck? I don't 
think so. Yeah. Um, and it spells a guy that isn't ready to soar. And I know that you see the 30% strikeout rate and you think, oh my God, if I, only we had all these innings. I don't really think that Hauk is going to turn into a six-inning guy. Um, and that's something to consider when you see those high strikeout rates. Let's say Hauk settles at a 25%. It's only a five innings per start. And if you have a guy at 24%, but he's going six innings per start, that's essentially, what, 15% more strikeouts you're getting uh, from the guy that goes an extra inning, right? That was quick math. I don't know. Something close to that. This sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so there's something to be just heavily consider about that. And how, to me, I'm interested because I think that the Red Sox will allow him to start, and I think he will be beneficial. Like His, his four-seamer slider is enough, honestly, to be good. It's just uh, how much are we going to get out of it? There's a headache involved of just when is he starting that I'm kind of out on both of these guys. I feel like they're a lot more fun pitchers to take in those 50s for me. And then if I am going to get someone, it's probably going to be a little bit later, like an Eric Lauer, if you can believe it, um, that I'm more interested in in starting consistently early on. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Like, I love Tanner Helk. You know, as a Red Sox fan, I've watched almost every one of his starts here over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, he's just filthy. The best slider, I think, is one of the best sliders in baseball. If it's absolutely... only he threw for a strike more. Right, I know. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's the issue. He can miss bats with it all damn day. But oh, yeah. yeah, the strike rate is not very high on it. But yeah, I think overall, maybe he's a guy that doesn't have the greatest ratios because he hasn't really shown that consistent third pitch. Like you mentioned the splitter. It's 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 shown that he, like, when he's on with it, it's pretty good. Like it has the ability to be, but it's just so infrequently that he's on with it. That's the issue. So um, definitely love the stuff long term, but the role, yeah, I'm with you there. I don't I don't see it. especially as ADP. Like if he was going like around where Lazardo and Gonsolin are, for instance, I'd be more willing to buy into that. But he's you know, going like I don't know hundred ish picks ahead of them. It's just it's just too high for me. I love Hulk, but. I don't, I don't think I have any shares of Hauk this you year. You want to know something that's kind of crazy? Sorry, I, I, I've meant to mention this before. Uh, Hauk Sinker has more vertical drop than Logan Webb's. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so there may I'm be something like to-, to that if he uses it right. He has a yeah. 42% O swing on that sinker because of it. Yeah. There's something to it. it it's a great sinker. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it had more vertical drop than Webb's, though. Wow, that's yeah. something. But, but yeah, Hauk is nasty. Just, you know, needs the roll. Uh, Chris, are you in on either of these two Boston arms here? I'm not. And uh, Hauk's going inside the top 200 now, which is just too yeah. high. There's it's no way too, way too high for a non guaranteed role. And for a pitcher that has not been great the second time through the order, much less the third time through the order, not sure how much we count on him as a, a starter. Long, even long term, I have concerns. Like, can he be a true starter that goes six innings consistently? I don't know. Or is he more of a Blake Snell type who? can go through the lineup twice, but not much more. And he's consistently throwing five innings. I don't know. It seems to me like he could be an elite, like fireman type role, maybe an elite, both Whitlock and Hout could fit that like high leverage bullpen role very, very well. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, Whitlock's just, in my opinion, it's a small sample of what we've seen because I mean, the Yankees basically just like handed him over to the Red Sox and it was like, <laughs> here you go, which surprises me. But I'll be curious with, with Whitlock, this year, how he performs. I think Hauk is going to be good, but it's just going to be not enough innings to be worthwhile for fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, like I said, if he was going 100 picks later, I'd be all in on Hauk. I just can't use a top 200 pick on him because, you know, that's probably what your fifth ish starter when yeah. an uncertain role. That's just 
It's just too high for me. Would you take him or Lazardo straight up? Straight up? Straight up. Mm, for this, I for want Hauk. I want Hauk. Okay. For, for just this year? Yeah, just this year. Yeah, I, I probably lean Hauk too. I think it's close. I, so I, I take Lazardo. I love Lazardo. Everyone knows that, but I think I would lean Hauk. But. The the percentage of success of like this working out is way higher to me for Hauk. Um, okay. I think there's a lot more. Also, I think the floor is way higher with Hauk too. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Just want to see him get develop that splitter or dope a change up something i would love to see a consistent third offering from tanner Hauk, but yeah he's got 2.5 pitches because of that sinker, <laughs> i think yeah the two different fastballs yeah so i just want i i really appreciate good change-ups you know i really do <laughs> so it's good. chris sale's got a great change maybe, maybe i know he's a lefty maybe he can uh teach it's changed up was last year oh man. yeah it was it bothered but... me so much Dude, get <laughs> it back it used to be like a 40 percent csw pitch it was like 25 like what do you Oof, do 40 percent is just yeah. That's mouth-watering right there. Yeah, it, yep, it was insane. <laughs> All right, moving down the East Coast here to a couple Tampa Bay arms here with the same first name. I, I wrote up both these guys in the same article uh, about a month or a month and a half ago. That's Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz of the Tampa Bay Rays. Two arms that I absolutely love. You know, Boz is arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball last year. Got in three starts and dazzled in those three starts. 2.03 ERA, 0.68 whip with a 36.7% uh, strikeout rate and a 35.3% whiff rate, 30.2% chase rate. Just all very good numbers. They are obviously only in three starts, but uh, the long-term outlook for him is very promising. And then Shane McClanahan last year, 25 starts, 3.43 ERA, a little bit higher whip, 1.27, 7.2% walk rate, 27.3% strikeout rate. But did get hit hard. Four seamer was atrocious last year. Change up equally as as atrocious. But can miss bats. He was like I mentioned. He was one of um, he was only 0.1 per, uh, percent away in the whiff rate of being one of three arms with three different offerings with a 40 plus percent whiff rate. The other two being Dylan Cease and of course Corbin Burns, uh, obviously. So uh, the stuff is there for both these guys. Are you buying uh, both these guys? Nick is taking that next step here. In 2022, it's kind of funny. You said Shane McClanahan and changeups, like changeup. Oh, right, right, that thing. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> it got well. No, it's it's actually not so bad. It's just it got uh, pretty unlucky last year with over 400 Babbitt, but I don't think it got hit hard too often. It's just not really the dependable thing that he really wants it to be. It's like 46 percent right. strike rate, but um, curveball and slider earn tons of strikes. Are really really good. And are being thrown about 50% of the time right now. And I think McClanahan can turn into someone that throws at 60% of the time while throwing four seamers closer to 30, 35%. Because, yeah, that's the area of improvement. Um, you hit the nail on the head, in my view. 41% uh, hard contact allowed is insanely high um, for the four seamer, which you want it closer to 30%. That's kind of like the norm. If you can do it close to 20, you've got it done. So I hope that McClanahan can get better command with it or at least use the breakers to help keep guys off of the heater and it's more of a surprise pitch um but the thing is the, that slider and curveball they're honestly they're, they're insanely good uh 43 csw on his curveball alone is startling and a 22 swing strike rate on the slider i think there's so much promise in that and i think the rays will do everything they can to make that four seamer better than the 308 average allowed last year so mcclanahan i think does take a next step and shane boz as far as innings we were kind of expecting them to do the you know, follow the blueprint of McClanahan, come up in April 
and ramp up a bit eventually to six innings and ramp back down, kind of like a bell curve through the year. I think one of the pitchers that benefits the most from the shortened season is Shane Boz because the Rays will just bring him up right away. You know, as yep. far as uh, his service time and all that kind of stuff, it changes and also workload it changes. And I'm again saying May 1st, I think Boz will be up with that team, considering also they don't really have a strong rotation at the moment. It's just McClanahan and friends. Um, <laughs> so Boz is needed there as their number two. And then maybe, I mean, he won't be there too. It'll probably be Kluber. Then there's some Patino in there. Then there's some Rasmussen and some Yarbrough and whatnot. But yeah, it's going to be the Shane show. And they should just call it a dirty Shane and be on with it. Um, so I'm excited for both. I'm actually a little intrigued more so with Shane Boz because it's an amazing slider and four-seamer. And like that's it's just dominant. And also really smart and confident with them. We'll throw both at any moment. And I saw that in the debut and it freaked me out as I did a video covering like every pitch for 40 minutes or something stupid. <laughs> um, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both. but uh, And I, could, I find myself drafting both of them whenever I can. Yeah, same here. I, I have several shares of, of both these guys. Like in my article, it was it was glowing uh, reviews of both. Like I love Shane Boz. Like interviewed him back yeah, right in the beginning of the pandemic a couple years ago, and everything he said he he wanted to do, like you know, being more simplistic, throwing more strikes, improving his overall you know arsenal outside of that f- fastball and slider. He did like he improved the curveball, he improved the changeup. It's not a great changeup, but it's at least serviceable. So. Yeah, I, I am very much in on both these guys here. Like I said, just want a better fastball from McClanahan, as we, we kind of both mentioned here. Uh, Chris, which one of these guys are you uh, more in on, or are you in on both? Yeah, I like both. Do you, do you think McClanahan's problem with the four-seam is just he throws it for strikes too often? Is that a, yeah, can it that could be, a be thing? that. He has a 57% zone rate. That yeah. absolutely could be part of it. Yeah, it's in, that's why I found interesting. I think he just grooves it in the zone too much, and it's kind of hurt him in a way. So yeah. I don't know if that, that – if that's a real thing or not, but that was kind of my first thought on it. It's just one, he's just throwing in the zone too much. It's a little too predictable. Well, it does get some good arm sign run to it. It's like, it, it seems like it'd be tougher to hit. He just doesn't locate it, you know, that well where it's going to hit too hard. So yeah, I like both. I think you're right. I think the shortened season benefits both of these guys. Actually, McClanahan probably is going to be on a little innings limit, maybe not hard innings limit, but now he's going to be up there closer to the league leaders, in my opinion. And Boz certainly pushes up where he should be you know, the, a regular starter and not have a super huge workload limit. He'll be an interesting one to follow as far as innings this year. But yeah, both very, very solid arms. I think Boz has definitely a higher ceiling. I think we could see him vault up into that top 10 type pitcher range, even though yep. McClanahan has a high ceiling as well. But Boz has that tremendous upside that I think is the, the ceiling is higher than McClanahan's there. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think uh, McClendon can get up to like the high end SP two, kind of like where like Dylan Cease is now. But yeah, I think Boz, like I mentioned in my article, he could be like this guy could win some Cy Youngs. I think he's that damn good. Uh, moving over to the uh, AL Central here, the the one really intriguing name for draft purposes this year coming out of the White Sox, Michael Kopech, former number one overall pitching prospect. Uh, just absolutely filthy electric stuff. Looks like he'll get a shot to start this year for the White Sox. And last year, mostly out of the bullpen, did make four starts, but 40 of those appearances were out of the bullpen. 69 in the third inning, struck out 103 batters for a 36.1% K rate. Obviously, the bullpen definitely elevates that a little bit, but it has the four-seamer in the mid-to-upper 90s, averaged 97.3 miles an hour on that four-seamer uh, with the 212 batting average against. 
and gets good whiffs on that too. 31.7% whiff rate. He has, you know, slider and curveball are both, you know, slider, he uses a lot more curve and changeup or sporadic, but he's shown, you know, both of those could be pretty solid pitches as well. He showed pretty good um, curve and changeup in the minor leagues. So probably uses those a bit more this year than the 6% ish combined usage rate that he had last year. So, a lot of intriguing things here with Kopech. Obviously, the innings will be a question, as when most of these guys are talking about uh, the younger guys. But are you buying into Michael Kopech this year, Mr. Nick Pollock? Oh, man. Oh, I'm so, so ready for Michael Kopech to be in the yes. conversation of everybody else. I like it's that answer. to me. It's crazy. So I did. I, I'm doing these going deeps every morning, right? And I do. And I have the the PL Plus crowd. They They vote on who I'm doing. And Kopech was number three. So I did this yesterday morning, so that's Saturday morning. And I say, okay, you know what? Let's go find some quotes, some news about what is going on with Michael Kopech. And NBC White Sox beat writer Vinny Duber put this out at the end of November and says, quote, Michael Kopech is being elevated to the rotation for next year after throwing out of the bullpen in 2021. Straight from his article. Okay. And going more into it, there is a mining in the news from Jordan, uh, from uh, Jeff Sermon's amazing uh, article. I want to say Jordan. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> and that was earlier in the month. And they're talking about Kopech's workload. Um, and there's something from, from James Fegan on The Athletic suggesting that Kopech's possible role might be as an opener um, in 2022. However, the context of that quote is that used as an opener sometimes to ease him into the rotation, which isn't a problem now because we're starting on May 1st. We don't need to limit his innings. We don't need to ease him into this whole thing. We've got it. It's here. And the, the White Sox rotation right now is three great, well, it's really two great guys and maybe one extra great guy um, in Lin Giolito and Dylan Cease. And then... It's Keigel and Renato Lopez. (laughs) And maybe there's Garrett Crochet. And actually, this James Fegan article was about Crochet being behind Kopech. And they're saying, hey, Crochet, you're going to be competing for a rotation spot. So this is all for Kopech to win. And it's it's his. It kind of reminds me of like Zach Gallen throwing all these innings. And then they said, yeah, he needs to earn his rotation spot. Like, what what are you talking about? Kopech is ready to dominate. And he does it. I mean, he throws hard. He has a filthy slider. He has intent to elevate with that four-seamer. Uh, he had a 15% swing strike rate alone on his four-seamer, which is insane to me. He matched his CSW exactly, 34.8. I normally round. I'm not right now because it's exactly what his slider was, too. Um, four-seamer and slider CSW rates. It's insane. He's amazing. Remember I was talking about before with a 41% hard hit rate for uh, McClanahan's four-seamer? 23.7 for for Michael Kopex. He is so good. And you could say, okay, he's throwing harder. He's out of the pen more. So, you know, there's a starter. He might be a little bit different. He killed it in the rotation when he had those opportunities. I, I, I'm so excited for this. We're going to be looking at ourselves in June being like, is Kopech a top 15 starter? Is he a top <laughs> 20 starter? Because he's that good. And also, it's the Tony La Russa. Which I actually, the one element I forgot to add to this article, which was the pitches per game that go for uh, White Sox starters, is elevated relative to the rest of the, of the league. And I think Kopech is not going to be like limited at 80 pitches or something when he starts. Uh, he's amazing. Seriously, get Michael Kopech everywhere. 
I paid a decent amount for him in labor yesterday because I had extra money at the end. But I had full intent to get him, and I'm not upset about it. I, I, I'm so – just get him. I'm done. <laughs> now, quick question, Nick. Let's fast forward a year. Get the old crystal ball out here. 2023 oh drafts. Whose yeah. ADP is higher, Michael Kopech or Shane Boss? Right. I think we're going to have more clarity about Kopech. Okay. So I'm going to go Kopech. It's going to be very close. I've actually compared the two a lot, and I had them back-to-back. And I had Kopech because I think Kopech would start the year um, with the White Sox. I think there still is more of a probability right now for Kopech to start the year with the White Sox. I will say, uh, I, I wonder whose third pitch will be better um, between Boz and Kopech. Yep. Because they're both four-seamer slider guys, and they're both really good at it. I think Boz is a little bit better when it comes to the command of it. But Kopech has the White Sox as opposed to the Rays. And when you think about player development, you think a little bit better in the Rays. But when you think about actual volume and opportunity yeah. and role, you want the White Sox. It's the AL Central on the best team. Yeah, It's such a good situation for Kopech. Tony so Russo doesn't I, care about the new no, age No, he doesn't. Stuff. He just throws his guys. Like, is old school. We all know that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Kopech in 2023. Okay. I can get behind that. A little bit. Chris, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I don't. Everybody's worried about innings. I mean, he yes, he has to build up, but he's yeah, shown in the past. Like, I mean, in 2017, he threw 135 innings in the minors. 2018, over 140. That's a lot for a minor league pitcher. So I'm not overly concerned. I think 150 is certainly attainable. If he throws 150, he could strike out 200 guys. I think that that that's in the realm of possibility. So the Arsenal is definitely there to do it. They just have to let him go, and it seems like that they are going to be willing to just let him go and do his thing. And if they do, I think we're looking at a huge, huge return on investment here in Michael Kopech. When are you you're looking at – oh, man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, when you're looking at your player pool wondering if you should be getting Michael Kopech, you should be saying, mm, okay. Get it. It's MK. It's, <laughs> good good I, South there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hi. <laughs> that was great. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> that was just that was a good joke, Nick. I applaud you on that. <laughs> I applaud oh, you. Oh man, the sass coming from Eric. Okay. No, no sass. No sass. I applaud you. I applaud you. <laughs> uh, I, I just didn't expect it. Caught me off guard a little bit uh-huh. there, but good. It's a good joke. Um we're kind of running long here, so I'll group these together as like a, a blanket statement here. A lot of you know young arms have come up over the last year or two in Detroit and Kansas City. Uh, we know our buddy Michael Simeone is very much not on, on Tariq Skubal, but you know with the Skubal, Mize, Manning in Detroit, you know, guys like Lynch and Coar and other Brady Singer in Kansas City. Any just any one of this group here, Nick? Are you like is anyone that you're just still pretty much in on or? Are these all kind of guys you're avoiding this year? So uh, in Kansas City, the only ones that have intrigue are Daniel Lynch and Carlos Fernandez. Uh, Lynch has a really nice slider uh, that we saw come out sometimes. But, you know, I think he got kind of messed up, like, going into the majors. And I don't think Kansas City is very good at pitching development in general. Too many sinker uh, slider guys, as Eno was saying yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious about that. Carlos Fernandez has two breaking balls that are good. And it's just about command with him, and maybe that does come to fruition. But I'm not really chasing any of that. In Detroit, uh, I wrote about Mize already and just pretty much being like, what else can he really do? Maybe a splitter to righties that had some success last year, but it's not really something I want to buy into. Um, Tariq Skubal. Sorry, it's Tarek Skubal. I apologize. Uh, he 
I think last year, it, it's very rare for us to actually witness development and see it actually take place. And I think of, of all those guys, Tarek is the one that constantly is improving and changing and tweaking and always getting better. And I very much understand uh, Michael's take because you look at last year and it's like, this isn't a finished product. It absolutely isn't. Um, but I think he did show signs in the middle of the year before he got shut down where Tarek is like, oh, cool, slider and changeup are coming along, and I think these can get better. And it's something over time that I think Tarek Skubal does improve and constantly it will reach the point of the, clearly the best one of the crop here in Detroit. So I have him around like the late 50s, early 60s or so. I have not found myself really in situations where I'm grabbing Tarek Skubal just because I will take Waskari Noah or John Means or something instead, yep. and then Skubal goes, right? But I would not be upset having Scooble on any of my squads for this year. I, I'm just, yeah, it just hasn't really fallen into my lap yet. Chris, you buying any of the Detroit or Kansas City arms this year? Not really. I haven't found myself drafting any of them. I'm not a big Scooble fan. I like Mize, but Mize just doesn't strike out enough batters to be super fantasy relevant. Even though he was solid last year, especially down the stretch, I just don't think the strikeout numbers will be there. Kansas City, eh, I don't know. They've just done a poor job of developing these top pitching prospects. So I'm not really in on any of them, particularly for, for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I still think, you know, Mize is fine. Uh, I, I I always kind of thought this when he was a prospect too. Like, I think he could be one of those guys that has a long major league career, but not anyone we're ever like super excited about drafting for fantasy. Like, I think best case scenario, maybe he's Kyle Hendricks 2.0. Even that might be a little high, but he, he never, he did, never, even back to when he was, uh, you know, ace at Auburn, the number one overall pick. Like he never had like a super high strikeout rate or anything like that. He's more of a limit hard contact type. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really excited about any of these guys. I've been taking some, I got some shares of Daniel Lynch, you know, in, in draft and holds uh, a couple of shares of Manning, um, none of Scooball oh, that no. I remember. Manning, no. No. Well, it, it was it was like super it's super scarred. late. No, I know. I'm just messing yeah. around. Uh, yeah. But I uh, yeah, four seamers can't. If a four seamer can be a 95 mile per hour pitch, there is some hype hype there. But uh, I'm just I, that was me like groaning out of disappointment. Yeah. No. Same here. Matt Manning. Yeah. Oh, I, I was super high on Manning. I saw him live back in 2019 in Double A. Was very impressed. He had a great start. Drove three hours to see it. Um, well, it was back to back with, with, uh, Casey Myers. So I was down there for two days, but in Hartford, Connecticut, but yeah, Manning has not lived up to the hype. That's uh, easy to say there. All right. Moving over to the AL West here, our final division and one really intriguing name for draft purposes this year out of the angels is Patrick Sandoval, who is the owner of one of the most beautiful changeups that you ever will see. And Nick's facial expression, I think he agrees with that sentiment. Uh, just absolutely filthy, dominant, all those words. Any word you can use to describe that is along those lines, it, he earned it. 139 batting average against last year, a 51.4% whiff rate. That's just, it's just insane. Um, also has a four-seamer, sinker, slider, curveball that y'all uses at least 10% of the time. So he mixes his pitch as well. There's, there's a lot of hype on Sandoval right now, Nick. Are you buying that hype? All right, so I wore my 32 whiffs shirt yesterday. Um, I couldn't wear it today, which is uh, Patrick Sandoval whiffing 32 batters against the Mariners, and it was so wonderful. Um, it is an amazing changeup, 29% swing strike rate for the season on just uh, changeup is startling, to say the least. 
Slider is a wonderful pitch as well. 34% CSW, good strike rate, all the fun stuff that you want to see. It's a very, you know, it's a wonderful supporting cast in that way. Um, only 60% usage, and I was a little surprised by that. And sometimes he didn't necessarily have it. Has a curveball that's a show me pitch. I mean, we're talking 91% early in the count. He throws a curveball. Uh, and that is 91% of the time he throws curveballs. It comes within 0001 or 10, which is insane. That's that's hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, but it had a 36% called strike rate, which is as elite as you'll find. Um, so with those three secondaries, things are wonderful for Patrick Sandoval. The problem is that the four-seamer and sinker are not so great. Um, four-seamer doesn't find strikes enough. Same with the sinker. They don't really do a whole lot. I... Uh, and it's kind of a hope for him to sneak him in while mixing in these excellent secondary pitches. So he's kind of a classic Guardians pitcher in this way, where he hasn't yet elevated his slider to be a 25% usage or 30% usage. Instead, he's only at 16%. So for me, I'm kind of looking to Sandoval to stop throwing these fastballs over 40% of the time. I want him to kind of do it 30% and then use curveball sliders and changeups to 70% of the time otherwise. And I think there's something to be had there. Huge question mark is health. He's healthy now. It's been reported that he's totally fine and ready to go. Uh, but back injury last year is a big question mark if that's going to be a thing. And he's a Los Angeles angel, which, yep. of course, just means you're destined uh, <laughs> to get hurt. Uh, so I like Sandoval. I think actually his quality per game is going to be good. It's just a, mount, a matter of how much are we actually going to get with him. And I've seen him go, I don't know, close to Kopech or something like that. I'm like, not a chance. I'm taking Kopech every time. Absolutely. So that means I actually haven't had too much Sandoval quite yet. But I, I think I got him. Did I get him in TGFB? I don't even remember anymore. It's been <laughs> know, so we, long that we've been drafting. I know, and so many drafts overall. It's kind of hard to remember I, who I, you have in what league. I got Kopech and then Sandoval, so nice. I at least I got both there, but I, I so I'm a fan. I, I think he's, I think he's great with that changeup, but I still need to see a little bit more development to really buy in. Yeah, and the ADP is it's fair. It's right around 200 overall. So uh, good there. Yeah, oh. that, that's that's fair. So yeah, I I do have a couple of shares of Sandoval myself. Chris, you buying in? Uh, yeah, I do like the price. I don't think it's – I mean, going around pick 200, him and Jordan Montgomery both sitting around that spot. I like both guys there, even though I haven't ended up with them a lot. I haven't. I don't know if I have a team with Sandoval on it, actually, even though I do like him and I like the draft cost. I don't really have much to add here. I think he's really solid profile. I'm not sure how much of a breakout we should be expecting, but I do expect him to be a solid arm in 2022. All right, last name here I want to get Mr. Pollock's take on here. <laughs> Finally, we get John Gray out of the pitching H-E double hockey stick. That is Colorado. I won't swear on this pod in honor of Mr. Pollock. <laughs> um, you, Eric. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. Uh, but finally, we get Gray out of Colorado into Texas this year, which is a more pitcher-friendly environment than it used to be. Uh, so... I think a lot of people are buying like, all right, Gray's going to finally take that next step here in his age 30 season. He's, he's showing flashes of what he can be getting out of cores. So are you buying him this year uh, in 2022? Oh yeah. He's a really fun one to be able to tell right away. And the best part about this is a lot of the guys that we're considering around, I don't know, where is he going? Two, 
220 it's, or something like that? It's actually closer to 250, 246 250. right now. Okay. So a lot of them are these upside young pitchers who are competing or trying to get the fifth spot in the rotation or so. John Gray is their ace. And if that's the case, then he's going deeper into games. He is more consistently pitching. And you're going to quickly understand where you, where you are with John Gray out of the gate. I love that. I love being able to make my decisions quickly and be able to know what I have early in the season. John Gray is a fastball slider guy for the most part. Used to have a curveball a little bit more. Um, pulled that back over the years. Just a 6% last year, but it used to be 15% or so, which was a good pitch, but hasn't really worked for him. But the slider is excellent. It has always been an elite offering. Four-seamer actually had moments last year where it increased its velocity to 95-96, and it was wonderful. Um, and that was you know, that was July times. We thought he was about to get traded. Then he got hurt and all this weird stuff. I love taking John Gray in all my drafts because I think he's going to produce right away uh, for Texas. It's a great home park. Um, not too bad of a division either. It's I think it's just a really, really good situation for him. And yeah, there's a lot of talk about like, oh, inside of course and outside of course, John Gray was different. Does not matter to me. You take a free agent, they leave cores. It's the consistency of how the ball moves and everything. Just throw that away. Just be happy he doesn't have to deal with uh, Colorado anymore. More consistency overall is what we should be expecting. I'm a fan of John Gray for 2022. I'm a fan as well. Chris, you yep. in as well? Uh, yeah, you can't look at the the home road splits. That's a terrible way to do it because you Gray had to pitch two totally different ways you know, at home and on the road because the ball moves so differently. And so you you take that out of the equation. He's going to have to throw one way. It's crazy he's thrown that for that long of his career. I mean, you go back and he was an elite prospect. He was elite coming into the draft. So I really expect to see Gray take a huge step forward this year. I think that's a great word to describe it is just consistency. So a consistent starter that goes deep into games. I think he's going to provide decent enough ratios to definitely be worth the draft cost. I just took him in TGFBI, I think, around like 250, which I feel really good about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got him in several leagues so far. I think he's, he's a good, like, SP5, SP6, something like that. Definitely uh, feeling pretty good about Gray here in 2022. That's going to wrap us up. Mr. Pollock, thank you so much for bestowing your pitching wisdom upon all of us today. It was This was a lot of fun. Thanks, man, for coming on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone should definitely check out the new Pitcher List website. It is an absolute beaut. It's more beautiful than a Patrick Sandoval changeup. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that, Nick. You know, Absolutely. And oh the, your, the player pages that you guys have are just exceptional, especially on the pitching side of things. Like I use those as much as I use like Fangraphs and Savant. So a lot of good stuff there. Everyone should go check it out. You know, get Pitcher List Plus, everything. Great stuff they got going on over there. Um, but that is going to wrap us up today. Thank you to everyone for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Nick is at Pitcher List. I'm at Eric Cross 04. Chris is at Roto Clegg. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at FantraxHQ.com or over on our Patreon. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.
following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal opportunity housing provider. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? 